Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when The Office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hey everyone. This week we will be discussing Season 3, Episode 17, Cocktails. In this episode, some of the employees go to a cocktail party, while the rest of the employees go to happy hour. And Michael and Jan make their debut as a couple. This episode's cold open just kind of shows the inner child that is Michael Scott. I really enjoy this cold open. So Michael is explaining to the camera about Magic Camp. And he says there's a common misconception that Magic Camp is only for children. And he says, that's because there's a bunch of children there, so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy sort of thing. I cannot recall if we have seen this up to this point, but Michael really loves magic. And that'll be somewhat of a recurring personality trait for him. Has the thing... No, we have, because he... Toby tells him when they go to Hooters that he just got his corporate credit card back, and we hear that he got it taken away because he was buying magic kits in order to woo clients. That's correct. So Michael just, yes, loves magic. He kind of loves the wonderment of it, and he attended magic camp. So as we open the episode, we see him in a street jacket, and Dwight is helping him out by putting chains on. So he's doing this sort of Houdini act escape thing. My favorite part of this episode comes as Michael's sort of popping up from behind Pam's desk because he has assembled the whole office to watch his magic trick. And as he's sort of popping up, he just whispers, magic, 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 over and over. And it's not like he just popped, like he, it's a slow rise. Yeah, it's like this reveal thing. As if... Him raising up from behind Pam's desk that I'm sure everyone <laughs> saw him go behind is a magic trick in and of itself. Michael didn't pay enough attention during magic camp <laughs> because it is very apparent how the trick is supposed to go. He has hidden the key in his mouth, but he is not hiding the fact that there is something in his mouth as he's telling everyone about the trick. And so Jim sees an opening here and asks Michael if under any circumstances he should offer assistance if Michael cannot get out. Michael never gives a straight answer, but Pam also kind of reinforces the idea that Michael's insisting that he's going to get out only via magic. Another poor takeaway from magic camp, I would say, is that the way Michael has decided he's going to get the key out of his mouth is sort of just wiggle around and flail his body about as he tries to get the key to his teeth. Now, again, how he's unlocking the lock with only his teeth is a little bit uh, difficult to say. In doing so, the key drops out of his mouth. Jim takes advantage of that, steps on the key, and Michael cannot find it. So the rest of the scene is spent watching Michael like do make attempts to get out of the straitjacket where he would clearly have some assistance. So he like goes to the window of his office 
and just kind of like it looks like he's trying to like scratch his back so the like that's the motion he's making on the window so it's just like um no no that's that's not like magic magic. getting out like you were just trying to unhook yourself essentially so the scene ends with him going into his office and closing the door with his feet and (laughs) closing the blinds with his feet and then still just kind of like squirming around on the floor (laughs) i do know the trick behind this trick i know the uh the quote magic of the trick did you learn it from the magic show we went to at the dominican resort on a vacation we once went on no i I just heard it kind of in happenstance (laughs) i believe the trick quote unquote is when the magician is wrapped in the straitjacket you like put as much air into your lungs as possible so you're expanding out your chest and so then the the straight jacket is wrapped around you then, and then you just exhale. And then now you have all this room to move around within the straight jacket. Interesting. And I it's easier to that. kind of shake yourself loose. <laughs> That's hilarious. Michael probably didn't follow that. He probably made it as tight as possible. Yes, probably. The bulk of this episode centers around two different social gatherings. Yeah, it's sort of an odd episode. I would say we move some storylines forward, but it's just seeing people in different spaces. We are rarely in the office outside of the cold open, just as sort of some setup. So the two different social situations are a cocktail party for managers at David Wallace's house. He is the CFO. And then because Michael is leaving early to go to the cocktail party, Pam puts together a happy hour at Poor Richard's for the rest of the office. And pretty much everyone else goes. That's there. So Phyllis is on her uh, honeymoon still. And Andy's still at anger management. I kind of, I think, I guess initially got the vibe that everyone was going. Because Michael makes the big, like the announcement to the entire office. And he, the way he says it, it seems as though like, all right. We're leaving. We're going to, we'll see y'all there. Uh, but, it's just Michael being cocky about going to right, a fancy party. Right. However, Jim and Karen are invited because Jim is kind well, of a manager, I Jim, guess. Jim is invited because he is the assistant manager right. to Michael. And then Karen is his date. Yes. Dwight goes as Michael's date. Sure, yeah. It seems so. Dwight goes with Michael. I guess I didn't even piece that. I just was like, okay, yeah, Dwight's going. I didn't even think about the fact that, like, he may not have been actually invited. I think that's the case. Somehow, Dwight goes with Michael on the drive to David Wallace's house. Dwight says, hey, thanks for letting me come. And Michael responds, didn't even think anything about it, which tells me it was like, hey, Dwight, come on. And Dwight realizes this is maybe an opportunity. Yeah. Jim's reaction to the cocktail party is often my reaction to work function. Why don't I want to go? Didn't expect to need a reason. So let me think here. Um, <clears throat> I don't know any of these people. It's an obligation. I don't like talking paper in my free time or in my work time. And did I use the word pointless? 
I don't have to go to as many obligatory work functions as I once did. I go to a lot for a professional association that I am a part of. However, even sometimes those can be uh, a little painful, like Jim is saying. Sometimes I don't like to talk shop in my spare time. You get people in my profession around each other, and sometimes it can turn into a bit of a one-upping situation, maybe some like self-importance, uh, inflation sort of thing. Curtis, do you enjoy work functions? I don't think I've ever worked at a job where there were frequent work functions. Um, I remember the job I had in college at the end of the year, there was like an appreciation dinner. And then other than that, the job I'm in currently has had a couple some fun ones. Yeah, but they are they are definitely more along the lines of a an appreciation type thing yeah. rather than a networking. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I've never had to really network, I guess. Um, I've also kind of had the good fortune, I guess, of working in several jobs where I am friends with the people I work with, and so I hang out with them socially outside of work sure uh, and so that makes things easier for these kind of bigger work related events because oh you're just essentially you're hanging out with your friends but on a more official capacity if you will sometimes i'm not great at networking i share a lot of jim's sentiments on I don't know these people. It's sort of the awkwardness of selling yourself. And early in my career, there was a lot of um, like low-level sexual harassment, like not only directed towards me, but just at young women in general by just some like creepy older men. And the, that is not a fun aspect of being forced to go to some cocktail party or some dinner or whatever to go and be seen. Sure. And I think that that's kind of the issue I have with Jim's statement here is that he doesn't see this as a networking opportunity. He sees it as an obligation. He's yes. like, a, I was invited to this thing. I really don't want to go, but I, this isn't, this isn't, you know, Michael, this isn't Michael asking if, <laughs> Uh, they want to ride together with him where he can pretty easily just kind of blow that off and say, no, this is kind of a big deal that he goes to this thing. Particularly since it's just for managers. I mean, there are quite a number of people there, but there are several branches. You have everybody in the corporate office. And then if you're inviting the manager and the assistant manager, plus their plus ones, I mean, it's a significant number of people. Sure. And so this is kind of where I see Jim as needing to grow up. And I, he, he is that pretty much all the way before this season anyway. It's like right. So far in this show, Jim needs to grow up. Especially and, because Karen is going with him. Yeah. He has like a safety. Yeah. And so we will see that later on in this season. But he still is kind of in that, I hate this job, 
I just, I'm here for the paycheck. I don't do a whole lot. I mess around. I play pranks on people. Like, that's what he thinks about his job. And he isn't seeing it as, okay, stuff like this is an opportunity for me to make some connections to get out of the position I'm in now and maybe go to a position that's more fulfilling and is something that I can use my actually use my talents at. For sure. Weirdly, and what you should not do with work networking events is show up very early. This is Michael's strategy. He goes hours early. Yeah. I mean, he's getting there when the catering company is getting set up, which has to be, what, two, three hours in advance, let's say? Yeah, uh, maybe maybe a little bit, not quite that, because we see David Wallace's wife. It appears that she is either just getting ready to get in the shower or has just gotten out of the shower. Right. So maybe... Maybe two or under. But then later, when it seems as though Michael like officially goes into the party, it's nighttime. And right. so, who knows? It's it's hard to judge the time. But yes, Michael and Dwight show up super, super early. Like, like you said, caterers are there. No guests are there. And he does this because he is... A lonely man that is desperate for friends because he says it's actually polite to show up early to parties and that the only people that show up very early are your really good friends. And so if you show up early to a party, by default, you're a you're a really good friend of that person, essentially. Because you're forced to become a really good friend because they have to entertain you for several hours. Right. Yeah, that that is just sort of showing, like you said, it's showing that Michael is very lonely, and what else is he doing, you know? Another unfortunate aspect of Michael showing up early is realizing that he has dressed exactly like the catering staff. So you could say that's a fortunate yeah, aspect of it. That's true, because he switches shirts with Dwight, <laughs> and it's sort of... This bizarre thing. I mean, Michael's just wearing a, I don't know, like a cranberry red button-up shirt with a red printed tie. Dwight has on uh, his typical, you know, mustard-colored shirt with, like, a a brown-based tie. Michael's night really hits a high point when Jan finally shows up to the party. And Jan has asked Michael to come out to her car so they can go over some legal proceedings. Jan has printed out three copies of essentially the disclosure notice for HR that her and Michael are in a relationship. Yes. Jan explains to Michael that he's giving up some legal rights here that essentially what he's doing is waiving his right to sue Dunder Mifflin if something in his relationship with Jan goes south. Like, they have to kind of keep it between the two of them. And it's also protecting Jan in that she 
won't show favoritism to Michael sure. because she is his direct superior. There are a lot of problematic aspects to the superior inferior relationship um, that wouldn't come up, say, if just two co-workers at the same level were dating. So Michael doesn't see this as a just a boilerplate HR document that pretty much every company has. This is a public and legal recognition that he and Jan are dating. Yes, he says that this party is sort of their coming out party as a couple. They are going to hand that contract to David Wallace. And Michael is just over the moon here. He he calls this a love contract. He says he's going to frame his copy of it. He signs it. And Jan looks at it and is like, what is this over the eye? And he's like, it's a heart. <laughs> Poor Michael. Poor Jan. Poor Jan. <laughs> Jan is talking herself into this relationship. Real hard. Because while Michael was driving to the party, Jan calls him up and is like, let's just blow off this party. We don't have to do this. But this is so important to Michael, this public recognition of their relationship. Mm -hmm. But Michael is a huge weirdo the rest of the party. Instantly, as soon as he sees David and David's wife, Rachel, with Jan, the first thing out of his mouth is Jan and I are lovers, which is also a super weird way to tell someone that you're dating. And it kind of forces Jan to be like, okay, David, I'm going to need to talk to you real quick because up to this point, there is no recognition right. of their of legal rep- recognition of their relationship. So Jan could get in, both of them could get in a lot of trouble here. And so I have to imagine in this moment, Jan is pulling David aside, like, here's everything, like everything's signed, everything's fine, here's mm-hmm. the copy for HR. Like all the ducks are in a row. Yes, here. yes, yes. If Michael continues this super weird, over-the-top behavior the rest of the night, he tries to hold Jan's hand. He tries to kiss her. And it's just very inappropriate at a professional function. Like, if they were just at, like, a barbecue with friends, that sort of behavior would be fine, like a little bit of PDA. But this is just so much. And Jan is kind of appalled by Michael at certain points. She is trying to be professional. She's amongst other members of the corporate office. She's amongst other managers. And Michael is sort of doing some embarrassing things. In one scene, there's a smaller group of people, just a couple of managers, and David hands over these tumblers of very fine whiskey that he got from Lee Iacocca. I'm not a whiskey drinker personally, so I probably wouldn't even like accept that tumbler. But Michael cannot drink whiskey. I am with you on this in that I also am not a whiskey drinker, but I feel like I would be obligated to. Yeah, do your best. Like there's nothing to do with that. Like he can't pour it back into the bottle. Like. And so I would, I would like, I would choke it down and try and hide the disgust. Yes, the inevitable like 
gags that would happen when I drank this whiskey. Curtis, what's the best strategy in that situation? A quick just down the hatch or a sip? You definitely can't do down the hatch because that's like that especially something like that is meant to be sipped and okay. savored and enjoyed. So I would guess in this situation, it is kind of a combination of both where you're sipping it, but you get it to the back of your throat as soon as possible. So it's not like hitting all of your taste buds. Yeah. And yeah, so get it to the back of your throat as soon as possible and swallow it. Pro tip, if you're in a professional situation yeah. and you're handed some very expensive liquor, that's how you should proceed. Jane is sort of embarrassed by Michael's reaction, and that's unfortunate. You don't want to be at any function, but in this public atmosphere with your partner and feel embarrassed by them. That's not a good sign. Yeah, and this is one of the few times that I will feel for Michael because it's one of those things where it's like, I would, I would like we just said, I would be probably be struggling to hide the fact that I did not like this and cannot drink this. Yeah. And so it's, I am a little more socially aware and more couth than Michael is in that he's just like, can I get some ice with this? Or can I get some Splenda? Splenda? He's like, no, 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 you, you don't do that with the ice maybe, but you definitely don't put anything. You don't cut that whiskey with, Anything like Splenda or Coke right, or whatever. Right. You're not making whiskey and Coke out of 20-year-old Scott or whiskey from Lehigh and Coca. There is another interaction with Jan, Michael, and David that is kind of it's a it's a bit of foreshadowing into something that we will see later. And it is another instance of Jan kind of having to cover for both her and Michael because mm-hmm. They're all kind of just standing around, the three of them, having a conversation. And Michael's like, you know what, to David, you know what? You and your wife should come to Jamaica to Sandals with me and Jan next Christmas. And I feel like Michael, because he did, he he's like, you would be surprised how low this girl can limbo. And Jan kind of pulls Michael away at this point because they could get into some troubled water here because that would be a recognition of the fact that their relationship started before this contract. And that is something that does come up later on in the series. Yes. I get the impression, and it's sort of hard because when you are first dating someone, I guess most people are not from the very first moment saying, okay, we are boyfriend-girlfriend or or we are in a committed relationship. doesn't have to be a heterosexual relationship, but this is happening and we need to register it with HR if it's in a workplace situation. So it's sort of this added layer if you are romantically involved in a coworker to give that protection. And the problem is, like we said before, Jan is Michael's boss. And so this trip that they went on in this impromptu fashion over Christmas is going to be a problem. But Michael, in typical Michael fashion, does not have the discretion 
to let that go and or, keep that under wraps. Or the awareness. Right. Like, he probably doesn't even know that that could get him in trouble. That's true. Michael being super awkward at this party is really only matched by how awkward Dwight is at this party. And this is kind of over the top. Like, this is... Dwight's actions kind of show someone who has never been in society at all. It's sort of uh, the flip side of the coin of Michael at Phyllis's wedding. This, have you ever been around people? Yeah. Dwight is just a really terrible party guest. Because, and, and maybe it's a reflection of, Okay, he's been at Dunder Mifflin for a while. His co-workers are used to his eccentricities. But get him around new people who are just trying to make very surface-level, polite conversation, not going to work. Because his conversation is, have you seen Battlestar Galactica? No? Well, you're an idiot. Right. And he has taken a particular interest in the Wallace's house. And this really is not all that uncommon or uncouth, if you will. However, the way he goes about it is extremely awkward and very much not socially acceptable. So he starts off right away with asking, how many square feet is this house? Which is essentially is like, how big is this? Mm -hmm. Like, it's a... It's a it's it's one of those things that you just kind of don't talk about yeah. in kind of polite company. And then Michael really kind of if Dwight towed that line, Michael stepped across it because he flat Jumped out asks uh, he flat out asks, "How much did you pay for this house?" which is really what you don't ask. <laughs> so I know I'm going to guess that the Wallaces live in Connecticut. Because corporates in New York City. Yeah. We know that we know that Michael and Dwight drove there. And a lot of people live in Connecticut if they work in Manhattan. It's like an hour, you know, train ride away. And I just feel like they would live there instead of New Jersey. Sure. Sure. And it's a kind of a colonial house that sort of fits Connecticut over Jersey, I would say, a little bit. Yeah. And this is kind of the focus of Dwight's inspection, if you will, is that yeah. it is a colonial house. And so he is asking about just all the, the weird stuff about it. And he asks David Wallace's wife, would you mind showing me around? Not, not for a... I just want to see the rooms. Yeah, like, or I appreciate architecture. Yes, it, it would it would not be weird if he's like, oh, I really love colonial houses. Would you mind showing me around? I would mm -hmm. love to see yeah, the, the, the soffits and the architecture of it. He is inspecting this house. He, he's doing, yeah, an actual inspection, like if you were buying real estate. Yeah, he's pounding on the walls and finding where the studs are. And we see him on the roof looking at the chimney. And he goes into their son's room which was weird because his son was sleeping as this big party was going on downstairs. Realistically, you're probably like, okay, you're going to a babysitter yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and he's just sitting in a rocking chair and he's That's asking real him, yeah he's like oh i like this chair like where did you get it where did what's it made out of as if this eight-year-old child will know the answers to these questions yeah at one point he's checking uh the integrity of the banister and it's like hanging off the banister it's over the top and we know dwight the farmer you know we know he lives in a rural setting but it's it's like i said similar to the situation with michael at phyllis's wedding where it's like this is this is intense this level of crazy This party also gives us the opportunity, and I think it's our first opportunity, honestly, to see Jim and Karen as a couple in a social setting. That's true. We don't get a lot of that. And they are just kind of making the rounds in the house, just chatting with people. Mm -hmm. And Karen at one point says to Jim, hey, do you see this guy in the blue blazer here? I used to date him, and I just want to let you know. So it isn't weird. And Jim's like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. And then there's another time where we see them chatting with a different couple. And this couple gets up to leave. And she says, hey, if you, if you notice that his wife was staring daggers at me, it's because we used to date when they were separated. And then there is another instance where, like, Jim is kind of standing from afar. And Karen is like, straightening got a different guy's tie or cleaning something off of it or something like that mm-hmm. and like jim is seeing this and so he is definitely having some thoughts of what am i getting myself into am i just kind of like the next one of many in yeah. this situation in the Mifflin, you know conveyor belt right and so there is a point where jim is kind of standing off to the side clearly bored and David Wallace comes up to him and he's just like, do you hate these things as much as I do? Do you want to go out back and shoot some hoops? And Jim's like, just has this like puzzled look on his face. Like, is this real? And Dave's like, all right, I'll see you out there in a couple minutes. So Jim goes over to Karen and says, Hey, I'm going outside out back to shoot baskets with, David Wallace. Which is an exciting opportunity. Yeah, for sure. And Karen's like, all right, uh, hopefully it isn't weird because, you know, he and I used to date. And at this point, Jim has to question it. Yeah, he sort of breaks a little. Like, yeah. Really? He's like, it is, and essentially it's a who here haven't you dated? And that is when the, the gag is up for Karen. Because she reveals that, no, she didn't date David Wallace. Or any of them. And she hadn't dated any of them. And this is kind of a, this is some comeuppance for Karen. I was going to say that. I was like, what do you think of this prank? Taste of your own medicine a little bit. Yeah, but not even like that in the sense of like Jim's pranking people all the time. No, yeah. no, I But but like a... See how easy it Uh was to just say, hey, I used to date this person. Right. Or the fact that you have to be around them in this situation. Right. Yeah, it was that to me is sort of astounding that that was never acknowledged. Yeah. 
um, in any way by the two of them, by the episode at all. Because, yeah, Jim does at first was like, hey, thanks for telling me. And if Karen were, were a petty person, she could have been like exactly like you said. Yeah, how hard was that, Jim? How hard was that just to say that? But the problem is, Jim currently still has feelings for Pam. It's a little bit more yes. complicated. They have moved than that. past that initial issue. Yes. Yeah. That's true. Karen gets one last sort of pranky jab in there before Jim goes out to shoot hoops. After she says, No, you're the only person I've dated. In fact, you are my first. And Jim's like, Uh, what? Karen's like, No, God, this is too easy. You're so naive. It's stuff like this is why I'm team Karen, because she just is more, like, she she is seemingly easy, more able to do stuff like that than Pam is. She, for not being a character that we've been around very long, she's pretty fully formed. Yeah. And Rashida Jones probably plays a big part of that and just how she plays the role of Karen we really get Karen's personality. For sure. We wrap up the cocktail party part of this episode by seeing Jan and Michael leaving the party, and they are kind of having a heated discussion in the car. Jan is telling Michael that she's not sure if it was a very good idea to go public with a relationship. She liked the secretive aspect of it. And she wasn't getting a lot of great vibes from this going public. That really wounds Michael. He's upset by that. Yes, because as you said earlier, like this was a big night for him. Like this was his opportunity to shout it from the mountaintop that he and Jan were a couple. And so, yeah, Jan wanting to take all of that back and just kind of have the relationship be between themselves. Like, that doesn't do anything for Michael Mm -hmm. because Michael wants to be able to just tell literally every person, hey, I have a girlfriend. Hey, I have a girlfriend. Hey, I have a girlfriend. That leads Jan to sort of walk back her comments and they don't really resolve anything, I would say. It's sort of like, okay, this is what it, you know, this is how it is. And then Dwight sort of pops out because he's in the back seat. But Jan drove there. It's very weird. Not sure how uh, her car is getting back there. But Dwight pops out and just says, hey, guys, don't break up. You are good together, which is patently untrue. Yeah, they both have some issues that need to be dealt with in order to kind of be in successful relationships. Yeah, particularly, particularly Jan. Yeah. As we said earlier, Michael and Dwight show up to the cocktail party super early. And a result of this is that they had to leave Dunder Mifflin very early. So Pam decides, hey, let's take advantage of this. She organizes a happy hour at Poor Richard's. So everybody that is not Michael, Dwight, Karen, and Jim will be going to Poor Richard's after work for happy hour. And at one point, Roy comes up to visit the upstairs and visit Pam. And Pam's like, hey, we're going to Poor Richard's. You should come. Roy sort of hesitates. He says that his brother, Kenny, sold the jet skis. And so they're going to go get hammered. And Pam's like, 
Okay, well, good. We're going to a bar. You can do that there. And he's still sort of uncertain. And Pam lays it out for him. Hey, if we're going to be dating, if you're going to be my boyfriend, you have to do boyfriend things with me. Because that was a problem before. He just did whatever he wanted when he wanted to do it, whether that was convenient or good for Pam or not. And it is evident that Pam is taking to heart the conversation that she heard Oscar and Gil have in the last episode at her art show, where Pam is not very honest or assertive with herself. Yeah. And so point. she says in, in Interstitial with the Camera that, hey, that's going to change. I'm going to start getting the things that I want. And I'm going to be more outspoken about those things. Yeah, she's just going to be honest and direct, which in some ways comes down to just standing up for herself. Yeah. And not in a mean way, not in a rude way, but not getting walked over. One of the biggest offenders of walking all over Pam has historically been Roy. Yeah, so good for her for kind of taking a stand here. And Roy, I think, kind of sees the error of his ways. And like, because yeah. he, when he agrees, it isn't just kind of like a fine, it is kind of like a okay. Like, it, it's like this, he found, there's this newfound respect for Pam kind of standing up for her in right. this immediate moment where he's just like, all right, you're right, we can do that. But it didn't take very long for Roy to sort of fall back into his own ways. Because last episode, he was all pumped that he was going to go to Pam's art show and he showed up and he wanted to pat himself on the back. And now he's like, I did that one thing and, you, and now we're officially dating again and whatever. Like, he, the chase is over sure. for Roy. Sure, So everyone's at poor Richard's. It's not the most happening happy hour until Roy shows up and they start playing some drinking games. He buys a round for everybody, and that sort of livens things up a bit. If you ever been to a work happy hour, sometimes it can stall out a little bit because everyone's only talking about work or the office. Yeah, I do feel like there are, like, it's only two things happen. It's people just kind of, like, simmer and talk about work stuff. And then there are the people that get after it yeah. and get hammered. Yeah, that's true. There's only two ways that would go. Yeah. At one point, they are playing up chicken, down chicken. Mm -hmm. The quarter is actually under Pam's hand, and she's sitting across from Roy. Roy pretty easily finds it because that's because Pam was sort of smirking and making a face at him and he's like oh I knew it I could read you like a book and for some reason that really hits Pam hard and I think because she's thinking actually not it's I mean because he follows that up with you couldn't hide anything from me yeah and that's when Pam's like uh yes I am yeah the happy hour ends with Pam and Roy sitting at the bar and they're having a conversation. And Pam is, like she said earlier in the episode, she wants to be more honest and direct. And she says to Roy, I want this to work. I want us to start out on a solid foundation. So to Pam, that means she needs to open up and tell Roy about Jim. So she says, hey, do you remember that casino night? You know, about a month before our wedding, so it wasn't May. Well, Jim kissed me that night. 
if Roy's immediate reaction is to sort of fly off the handle on anger in a way that is scary and concerning, mm-hmm. because he starts throwing glasses. Yeah. If Pam's trying to explain more, and Roy's really not letting her get it out, but one of the things she does say is, I might have had feelings for him as well. And all Roy can focus on is the fact that Jim came on to Pam. Yeah. As Roy's starting to throw glasses, Pam just stands up and just says, this is over. Not doing this. Roy and Roy in his anger is like, you bet it is. And just is continuing to trash the bar. Yeah. If This probably isn't funny, but it is to me is that his brother just kind of shows up and then just picks up a chair and throws it. Like he, there is no like, we're trashing this yeah. place. It's just like, all right, this is what we're doing, yeah. I guess. And like, Sort of a weird ride or die. Roy, yeah, Roy's brother does not try to be like, hey, let's calm it down here. Like, you can be mad, but let's not break shit. Yeah, let's not get arrested. Yeah, but no, he's like, all right, he threw a glass, I'm doing it too. And he throws a chair and yeah. We see Pam walk out. She, she's visibly upset here. The episode ends with Roy sitting outside for Richards, and then his brother Kenny comes out, and Roy is sort of defeated and deflated here. He asks Kenny, are they going to call the cops? Kenny says, no, I, I paid him off with the jet ski money. And the last line is Roy saying that he's going to kill Jim Helpert. So this is probably the darkest yeah. ending that we have had to an episode so far. It's just interesting because Roy has a lot of fight and a lot of anger and this fieriness here. He had none of those things for the the relationship with Pam Mm -hmm. at any point of the 10 years or however long they were together. He has done some self-reflection in the time they were broken up. And, you know, we in the season opener, we saw him say he's going to fight to get her back. But then once he got her back, like I said, there was just nothing. He was very content to go back to whatever the relationship was previously. Yeah. But now, and this is this weird machoism thing, now that someone has come for his quote-unquote property, he's going to beat that other guy up. Instead of actually wanting to have a conversation with Pam and figure out what is it that maybe you had feelings for Jim about, what is deficient in our relationship, he's just going to go beat up Jim. Right. So with that, let's go to the annex with Antoinette and talk about any fun facts in this episode. So just a couple. First one, this was directed by J.J. Abrams, uh, which is just sort of interesting to me. It was part of this. NBC Sweets Week, where they were trying to tout the fact that these kind of big name directors were uh, directing some NBC shows. Yeah, because was the Josh Josh Whedon episode last episode? And that's a pretty big name there, too. Yeah, so so it was just similar thing. Both of those were in the same uh, same time. And then one thing I want to point out is when Michael and Jan were sort of having their disagreement in the car... Michael is painting this picture of his dreams for a relationship. And he says he wants the white picket fence and the house and the ketchup fights and the tickle parties. Ketchup fights comes up again. And it is an Easter egg thing that shows up in threat level midnight. Hmm. 
he has a catch-up fight in the flashback with his wife who has died. Interesting. Yes. So Michael is is serious and he wants these catch-up fights. Yeah. And to that, I do think that we lose somebody in this episode, which is rare because it is an episode that, as we have said before, takes place completely outside of the office. So you won't see many firings in that case. For sure. However, I think Roy has to get fired here for his role in destroying poor Richard's bar. Yes, there in most employment contracts or most employment offers, you can be fired for your conduct outside of the office if it rises to a certain level. And this, I think, definitely does. Yeah, I find it I find it very hard to believe that the owner of the bar would take any sort of money or that at no point were the cops called right. at any point in By there. By other patrons. Yeah. Yeah. So, I agree. So Roy gets fired here. It's his first firing of the season, and it's his first firing overall. Okay. Do you have a Dundee to give out? Yes. Uh, the Dundee Award for Most Desperate goes to Toby. As they were walking into Poor Richards, Pam spots a stuffed duck in one of those like claw vending machine things. Toby hears that and spends his entire evening trying to win the duck for Pam. As soon as he does, walks over, gives it to her. Pam's like, hey, where have you been all night? I was looking forward to just hanging out with you, talking. Which wounds Toby because he thinks she's going to remember that she's like, oh, cute duck, and just be so won over by this. Pam doesn't even keep the duck. She's like, hey, don't you have a daughter? Give that to her. And so Toby just cannot make a move here. One, because he's sort of... uh, Kind of a doofus a little bit. Mm-hmm. Kind of a kind of a goober guy as far as talking with women. And then I just don't think Pam has seen him in that fashion. No. What is your Dundee? Uh, mine's the exact same thing. <laughs> I have it as the Simpinate Easy Award. Simpin? Simpin, yes. It is it's like this. Um it is it is popular or is very prevalent on social media of like Instagram models and like female gaming streamers is especially bad. It's where like you will have one person be like, oh, you're ugly or you're bad at video games or whatever. Your dances suck. (laughs) And you have a group of guys who will be like, no, you're the you're an asshole. You're the you're the bad person. Like coming to the defense of this woman, but not in a not in a hey, that's not cool. We should respect people. But in a if I do this, this oh. this girl is going to be impressed by that. Oh boy. Okay. Yeah. Not a layer. Yeah. It's bad. Okay. So Toby is the one? Toby is Simpin in this okay. case, yes. Got it. All right. Yeah. Uh, it, for the reason that you state in that, he took this very, very small little thing that was a throwaway thing. And it was right. Like, she's oh. going to be so yeah. she's gonna love this. over. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Who is your employee of the month? My employee of the month is Jim because the 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 night that was he was probably kind of dreading turned out to be pretty... 
um, probably successful for him in a way that mm-hmm. he wasn't expecting. Like I yeah. said earlier, like he doesn't view this as a networking thing. He views this as a boring work party obligation thing. And him getting just one-on-one time as kind of kind of just friends with David Wallace probably plays a big part in his role as a Dunder Mifflin employee going forward. Agree. He definitely gets on David's radar. Yeah. Who is your employee of the month? I chose Pam uh, because she is trying to be more honest and be more direct and not let people walk all over her. But she also organized a work happy hour. Like, a lot of times people are like, we should do that. But no one actually has the follow through to do it. So good on Pam. Yeah, and people seem to be enjoying themselves. Yeah, I think they had a good time. Yeah. So that will do it for this week's episode. Please follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates and keep listening on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you are listening to us. And be sure to rate, subscribe, and comment wherever you can to help get our name out there. We appreciate you listening. And we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.